Welcome to Funny Cause It's True, true stories told by funny people. I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show, and this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is diametrically opposed, three stories that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. Pepper Berry talks about a topsy-turvy relationship with playwright Neil Simon. Eric Peterson opens up about a family holiday dinner where the newest member of their table was his sibling's sex slave. And I recount how a drug deal gone wrong almost got me killed. So let's not dawdle. Let's get to it. First up, Pepper Berry. Tenth grade, uh, Martin High School, Arlington, Texas. My drama teacher is teaching us playwriting by having us read Neil Simon's The Sunshine Boys. And it's in that moment that Neil Simon becomes my hero, and I decide that I am going to be a writer. My parents will find out this news seven or eight years later. <laughs> so flash forward to uh, college and film school and screenwriting and all that. I moved from Texas to Los Angeles, and I moved to the west side because um, coming from out of state, everyone moves immediately to the west side of Los Angeles because it looks the most like Los Angeles because that's how it looked like in Three's Company episodes. <laughs> and so... I moved to Westwood. I start working for Man Theaters as a manager, and I'm walking down Broxton Avenue one afternoon, and I notice an older gentleman across the street in a sweater and glasses walking along, and I'm like, wow, he looks really a whole... Oh, my God, that's Neil Simon, my hero. And so I let him pause. I'm just speechless, and I just let him walk by, and I was like, that's incredible. I just saw Neil Simon. And a few days later, I'm walking back from work, and here he comes again. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so I'm thinking of something to say as he passes me. I don't think of anything to say. I just All I can think of is like, oh, my God, I'm neighbors with Neil Simon. He must be here. So I go home, and I'm looking through, like, interviews and researching this thing. It turns out that he, in fact, keeps an office, an apartment in Westwood. He lives in Brentwood or Beverly Hills or wherever else, but he keeps an apartment where he works out of. And every day he goes there. He gets a yellow legal pad out. He writes all his plays out longhand. He turns them into a secretary there, and she types them up for him. So that's how Neil Simon works. I see him the next day. So this time, I'm a little bit braver because we're neighbors now and I know a little bit more about him. <laughs> and I get up the courage and I'm practicing as I see him coming towards me. I'm just going to be short and sweet. And he passes me and I say, hi, Mr. Simon. And he looks at me and goes, uh. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's not a response I was looking for. But I figured like, you know, disdain must require acknowledgement at least. A little bit. So I got something out of him. So I figured maybe he didn't hear me, so I'll see him again sometime. And sure enough, like a week later, I'm walking back from work, and here comes Neil Simon again. And I say, hey, Mr. Simon. And he looks at me and goes, ugh. I was like, wow. He's a really mean old man. And so I think maybe he just thinks I'm kind of, kind of a freaky fan. I'll just say, like, be the neighborly thing. And, like, a couple of weeks later, I see him passing by going to the grocery store, and I'm like, hi. He's like, uh, like, wow, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to give up on that. Um, a few years later, I quit the theater. I start working in Hamburger Hamlet there in Westwood, waiting tables, bartending. And where does Neil Simon take his lunch break every day and orders his Sprite and tuna melt but Hamburger Hamlet? So here he comes in, and I'm like, wow. So I'm just going to keep it short. I'm just going to do the tuna melt and the thing, and I'm not going to try to talk to him. And I bring him his Sprite and his tuna melt, and... He brings out his yellow legal pad, and he starts writing down. And I'm just like, God, 
This is like seeing like the Ark of the Covenant to me, which is appropriate because he's like Jewish. So I'm just like, oh my God, he's just like sitting there like riding down. He's like working on a play like right there in my station. So this goes on for a few weeks. He kind of is a regular there. He comes in every three, like three times a week. And my girlfriend at the time worked at the Hamlet Gardens, which was across the village, owned by the same couple as Hamburger Hamlet. This is more of an upscale restaurant that's like four-star and Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson and everyone goes there. And she comes in one night and she says like, um, oh, you know that guy came in that you like? And I was like, I was like who's, who's that? And she's like, um, that uh, Nick person. And I was like, Nick, I don't, I don't like a Nick. And, and uh, she's like, you know, he like, he like writes... Uh, he writes the plays. You read them in like 10th grade. And you're like, he's your, I was like, Neil? Neil? Neil Simon? You're talking about Neil Simon? And she's like, yeah, 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 the old guy. And I was, like, I was like, yeah, he's an asshole, right? And she's like, no, he's totally sweet. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, he was waiting for his wife. He was ordering dinner. And then like, she, was, she was late. And he was asking me like, what classes I was taking, where I was going to college. I was like, what? And I was like, I was like, Neil Simon, Neil Simon. He's like, he's like, where's the sweater? She's like, yeah, he's like totally nice. And like, we waited for his wife and he was asking what I was studying. And then she got there and he came and introduced me to her. And like, her name was like, I was like, whoa. I was like, you talked to him. You had a conversation. And she's like, yeah, he's, his wife's totally sweet. And they want to come back and they want to see what I'm doing next on my next semester and stuff like that. And I was like, I was beyond pissed. So the next day I'm back at the Hamlet at the window, like patent, just waiting for Neil Simon to come back. <laughs> And I see the little fucker, like, coming across the street. And I'm like, tuna melt, down! And I go get his Sprite. And he comes to the door, and I'm, like, clocking him. Thing, waiting for him to get to his table. He sits down. I'm like, Sprite, Mr. Simon, tuna melt, coming up. And he's like, whoa! This guy's, like, a freaking millionaire. He's probably eating in every fancy restaurant in the world. But some guy knows he orders a tuna melt every day. And it's, like, made his day. So I bring his tuna melt over, and he's just like, he's like, He's like, wow, I've never gotten service like that before. That's really great. He's, he's like, I'm glad I, uh, I made it in. You know, the rain broke, and he's like, uh, it's like really kind of clearing up. I was just like, he's talking to me. We're talking about the weather with Neil Simon. And I was like, yeah, it's supposed to be uh, pretty nice uh, tomorrow. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to clear up. And I was like, see, so you're working on uh, something. What are you writing? He's like, oh, I'm editing a book. I was like, we're talking about his book. We're talking about everything. It's like soon we'll be like collaborating and stuff like that. <laughs> it was amazing. So... Now he comes in. Now he knows me. I, every time he comes in, I'm just like, hey, here's your Sprite, Mr. Zombie, your tuna melts. Boom. This goes on for like a few weeks. A few weeks later, I'm at the West Side Pavilion on my day off shopping. I'm going down the down escalator. Who do I see coming up the up escalator? My friend, my pal, my good friend, Mr. Neil Simon. We meet. Our eyes meet. I look at him. I'm like, hey, Mr. Simon. And he looks at me and goes, Ugh. Next up, Eric Peterson. So my particular story is uh, it's about Thanksgiving, which is a holiday that has passed, but it counts still. Um, there's 11 kids in my family. Uh, it's combined, so we've managed to sort of attract a lot of eccentric people with all these kids. And um, my oldest stepbrother is, he's into Dungeons and Dragons, and he's really into, like, the Renaissance Fair and polygamy. Um, so... He's an interesting fellow, him and all of his lovers. But uh, So this particular Thanksgiving, I was home, and um, I was walking around the kitchen, and he was there with his girlfriend, uh, at the time, or his main girlfriend at the time. So I'm walking around, and I see this rather short 
kind of uh, unique-looking woman scurrying about the house in, like, a black leather dress and red hair that was shaved on the sides. And um, I was like, well, I don't know who this lady is. She's not a relative as far as I know. So I walked up, and I introduced myself, and I said, hey, my name's Eric. And she didn't say anything to me, and I was just like, this is kind of weird. And I said, well, you know, I, my name's Eric. I live here. This is my home. These are my people. And uh, she kind of is like looking more and more terrified. And she, then she looks at my stepbrother. And my stepbrother looks back at her and goes, oh, it's okay. So she goes, oh, my name's Tiffany. And she like shakes my hand really fast and runs behind him. I was like, that's really weird. And it turns out that the reason she couldn't speak to me is that she is my stepbrother's sex slave that he had brought to Thanksgiving dinner with him and his girlfriend. And she was not to speak unless he had given her permission to. So... Needless to say, when you're going around the table and saying what you're thankful for, it gets really awkward when that person has to get permission from their master. <laughs> but, um, so, and that wasn't even necessarily the weirdest part about it. It was that after this happened, and everyone knew that, oh, it's a sex slave, and people were making fun of him about it. But even though, I mean, the guy had a sex slave, so that's kind of cool. But uh, <laughs> after dinner was over, with the whole family around, like cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, me... Um, they all sat in the living room, and they would take turns making out with each other, his girlfriend and his sex slave, and then making out with him while the other person watched. So it was like a make-out triangle happening in our living room during Thanksgiving. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, if I had known this was going to happen, I would have been thankful for something else, that I now have a great story to tell about the holidays and him. So that's my holiday story. And Next up, me. Kevin McGeehan. When I was 18 years old, because of a drug deal gone wrong, I was almost killed. It is a loose connection, but bear with me. Uh, so when I was 18, I worked at a golf club called the Pontevedra Inn and Club, which was the hoity-toity old money golf uh, community right on the Atlantic, Be- uh, Atlantic Ocean, and it was just lovely. Uh, but with any place like a resort, there's always... Uh, scummier people that work there. Uh, I worked in the golf section, and I was a golf cart attendant. And our duties included cleaning all the golf clubs, putting the golf clubs back, cleaning all the golf carts, uh, stuff that uh, an 18-year-old with no skills would do. Uh, the other people that worked there with me, uh, one guy named Chaz. Chaz was the reason I had the job. He and I went to high school together. And uh, he was, um, if you know this reference, uh, in Beverly Hills 90210, the original one, uh, Luke Perry played Dylan McKay, and Dylan McKay was the rich kid who lived on his own and was kind of mysterious and got into some trouble. That was Chaz. He was that guy. And when he got into drugs more, he started becoming more popular and hanging out with the popular crowd. He brought me along on that ride, so much so that one night in a fit of anger yelled at me, I made you. You'd be nothing without me. So he's that guy. Uh, another guy that worked there was a guy named Billy. And Billy was um, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character in Dazed and Confused. All the girls stayed the same age while he got older. Um, and Chaz and Billy had a shark-slash-remora relationship where they both needed each other to survive, and uh, which worked out well because Chaz was a rich kid who loved drugs, and Billy was a scummy 22-year-old who loved selling drugs to rich high school kids. Um, and then the other guy in, that worked out there with us, uh, I have nicknamed... Assistant Golf Pro Dum Dum, and we'll find out why in a minute. So um, Chaz and Billy 
one day decided they were going to do a drug deal, but they didn't have a car in which to do it. So they went to assistant golf pro Dum Dum and said, hey, man, can we borrow your car? We're just going to take it for a spin. Assistant golf, golf pro Dum Dum says, oh, no, no, you can't borrow my car. Billy says, come on, let us borrow it. And assistant golf pro Dum Dum, wanting to be popular and wanting to fit in with the scuzzy guys, said, okay, fine. You can't borrow my car, but my mom's out of town. You can borrow her BMW. So Chaz and Billy go out on this drug deal. And the way they decide to do it was a Dirk Diggler Boogie Nights type transaction where they're going to pull one on the other people. And they're going to keep the cash and the drugs. Because Billy thought, what could possibly happen? Here's what happened. The other guys brought heat. And after they stole the drugs and the money from them, they tried to speed off, and the other guys just started shooting at this car, blowing out the back of it, blowing out the back windshield, embedding bullets into the headrest that Chaz was cowering underneath. The next day, they returned it to assistant golf pro Dum Dum, and he was none too pleased. And if you're curious, uh, at the Ponte Vedra Inn and Club, if you take a fellow employee's car and get it shot up in a drug deal gone wrong, that's grounds for dismissal. So those guys were released, and the only one left as the golf cart attendant was me. So where I went from working two days a week, I now had to work every day of the week for one specific job, the one that no one wanted to do, which was pick the range. And what that means is uh, on the driving range, people just hit balls, and they're scattered everywhere, and there's a big metal golf cart that you get in, you hook up to a mechanism, and you drive it like you're vacuuming a floor just back and forth in rows. Because you are driving back and forth as people are hitting things, that makes you inevitably a moving target. So one day as I was doing it, on a day that I should not have been there, uh, I was driving the golf cart and I would come close to the people, then I would turn around and go away. These two guys were not doing very well and they just gave up and decided to start hitting me. But they weren't very good and they kept missing until one guy... Babe Ruth's it. And I see him in the distance point to me <laughs> and then hit either the best drive or the worst drive, depending on your perspective. But it shoots off with no arc and just shoots right at me. And here's how I remember it. I'm driving towards him. I see the point. I see the swing, the delayed crack of the club against the ball. And then an explosion right in front of my face and then a loud clang behind me. My instinct was to jump out of the driving, uh, drive, jump out of the cart and just raise my hands up and surrender. Uh, you got me, you got me. And the two guys up top high fived each other. <laughs> Later, when assistant golf pro Dum Dum and I went and looked at the damage, what had happened is the ball had broken through the gate and had landed an inch from where my head was and embedded itself. So it may be loose, but because of a drug deal gone wrong, I was almost killed. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's it. That's our show. Special thanks to our storytellers, Pepper Berry and Eric Peterson. Also thanks to Josh Callahan, Mark Orzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood, located on beautiful and mildly scary Hollywood Boulevard. Funny Because It's True is on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash funny because it's true. 
The next show is January 31st, and the theme will be Wrong Turn. So come out, sign up, and you may get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. My name is Kevin McGann. Thanks for listening. For more funny stuff for your eyes and ears, go to ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.